For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. It is Tuesday, May the 31st, last day of May. You believe that? We're almost halfway through 2022, the year of our Lord. You believe that? Hope you all had a great Memorial Day weekend. Hope you took some time to remember. Hope you had some good times with friends and family. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Great to be back with you back at work after an extended holiday. We're going to get right to it. Great guest today, Jericho Hill is joining us. He's our economist friend. We'll ask him a little bit of economics. Mostly we're going to talk about a piece he wrote in Ordinary-Times com where he's been monitoring reddit and some forums where the moderators and verified police folks are fighting with rank and file commenters police folk about the narratives coming out of uvalde we'll talk about it in a little bit a uh, great story in the program with over in buffalo a city that needs some good news uh the winner of the marathon did it doing a little bit of extra stuff we'll talk about that um also we're going to go over to India. Uh, there's a debate over a uniform civil code, how to do law in a very diverse country. There's lessons to learn from there, and there's things to appreciate about our own system of government, watching our friends in India try to navigate some really treacherous cultural and political waters. We'll discuss that in just a little bit. But first, let's go back to Buffalo. Yeah, I know almost everybody forgot about Buffalo because of Uvalde. The evil just stacks up on evil, and it kind of tends to all run together. You just go from news story to news story. But we need to back up because there's something important to talk about in Buffalo from the Buffalo News. Law enforcement officers are investigating whether a retired federal agent about 30 minutes advance notice of white supremacist plans to murder black people at a Buffalo supermarket. Two law enforcement officials told the Buffalo News. This has since been reported other places. Authorities believe the former agent, believed to be from Texas, was one of at least six individuals who regularly communicated with accused gunmen I'm not going to use his name. I know people have different things on this. I'm not going to do it. Uh, others can do as they will. Uh, in an online chat room where racist hatred was discussed, the two law enforcement sources with direct knowledge of the investigation stated these individuals were invited by the gunman to read about his mass shooting plans and the target location about 30 minutes before he killed 10 people at the Tops Market on Jefferson Avenue from May 14th. Again, this is the Buffalo News. I am exerting his name. Others can do as they will. The news could not determine if the retired agent had accepted the invitation or not. Quote, these were like-minded people who used this chat group to talk about their shared interest in racial hatred. Let's pause right here. A former retired federal agent in a chat room like this, this should have been a red flag right off the jump. I understand retired people have a little bit of right to be as racist as they want to be, but we can see really clearly where there's some breakdown going right off the bat here. Uh, back to the piece. 
interest in replacement theory and hatred of anyone who is Jewish, a person of color, or not of European ancestry, said one of two law enforcement officials with close knowledge of the investigation. What is especially upsetting is that these six people received advance notice and details of the Buffalo shooting 30 minutes before it happened. The FBI has verified that none of these people called law enforcement to warn them about the shooting. The FBI database shows no advance tips from anyone that this shooting was about to happen. Agents from the FBI are in the process of tracking down and interviewing the six people, including the retired agent, and attempting to determine if any of them should be charged as accomplices. The two sources with close knowledge of the probe told the Buffalo News the two sources did not identify the agent but could not confirm which federal agency they worked for. The Buffalo FBI office declined to comment. U.S. Attorney's Office also declined comment. Buffalo civil rights attorney John V. Elmore said it's outrageous if it turns out that a former law enforcement officer had advanced notice of the shooting and did nothing to prevent it. Not to mention the fact that he's in this kind of a chat room and would openly entertain the musings of this evil, wicked individual in the first place. Let's go over to Uvalde real quick, where we also have uh, very serious questions about the law enforcement response. We also found out over the weekend that the current uh, police commissioner for the school district who made the decision to hold back the police replaced a former police chief who had been ran off for misconduct because, among other things, he had drunkenly pulled a weapon on somebody in a bar, among other things. There's clearly something rotten in the law enforcement in Uvalde, from the leadership to the training to their response time. Response times don't happen in a vacuum. That happens because you play like you practice and their practice wasn't good enough and their leadership was even worse. That's just the facts on the ground because we've got the video. We got the timeline. We know they didn't perform the way they were supposed to perform under a crisis and innocent children died because of it. Both of these stories have one common thread, even though they are on opposite ends of the country. There needs to be some accountability here, especially in our police fund. Now, I know everybody wants to talk about do something. The crowd chanted do something at President Biden when he went down to meet with the victims' families. We need to understand something very clearly. We can debate anything you want to do. We can talk about guns. We can talk about culture. We can talk about society. We can talk about law enforcement. Laws are not on-off switches. Just thinking we're going to pass a law and fix all this is fantasy. It is not going to fix everything just like turning on a light or turning off a light. The bad doesn't go away just because the dark does. Now, what do we draw from this conclusion? These issues... There in Buffalo and in Uvalde, these shooters, these evil, wicked people were known and were not stopped on multiple levels by multiple people. That's something we need to deal with. But especially when it's people that know better, retired federal agents, active school folks, people in the mental health community, people in the juvenile community in the Buffalo case, people in the juvenile community in the Uvalde case. These are young men. They had school records. We're going to have to redo how we look at these people. But more importantly, we're going to have to hold people accountable who do not intervene. That doesn't mean we throw them all in jail or anything like that, but we better start holding people to account to do their jobs as they're assigned to do, whether they're law enforcement, school official, mental health official, whoever. People keep sliding through the cracks, and then we say, well, they slid through the cracks. Maybe we should start dealing with the cracks and not just the evil, wicked people and their deeds, because then it's too late. Let's start addressing some cracks and see if that doesn't start preventing something. And it's probably a lot more logical than trying to get a one-size-fit-all bill that may or may not fix anything. More Hurt Tell right after this.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, welcome back to Herd Tell. Let's go overseas to India. BBC article uh, The coming storm over a single common law in India. Why are we talking about this? Where the world's largest democracy over a billion people in india has a lot of social and cultural strife going on which causes political strife now we know geopolitically india's got a lot of irons in the fire uh we've already talked about sri lanka and the mess going on there china they're long-running issues with pakistan they're tied up into the russia conflict with ukraine on multiple levels of course they have tried to befriend us and got more onto the u.s's good graces in trade and military wise they got a lot of stuff going on culturally though it is an extremely diverse place even though there's a hindu majority there's a whole lot of diversity even within that and a lot of other religions as well. So they're trying to come up with something called a uniform civil code or a UCC from the BBC. Uh, When it comes to matters such as marriage, divorce, inheritance, and adoption, India has different laws for different communities based on their religion, faith, and beliefs. So before we get into this BBC piece, why are we delving into this? Because things like human rights, things like women's rights, things like children's rights, things like rule of law, it's good for us to understand in America that when we talk about rule of law and our constitution, things like that, how blessed we are to have pretty well-defined things like this. It's very important. And for our friends over in India, uh, they're trying to figure some of this out on the fly and trying to make it a little bit better with a whole lot of headwinds. It's a good educational tool, not only for understanding how the world works, but for appreciating what we have here in America. Back to the BBC. But since independence, there's been talk of the Uniform Civil Code or UCC, a single personal law for all citizens, irrespective of religion, sex, gender, or sexual orientation. Even the Constitution says the state should, quote, endeavor to provide such a law to its citizens, but a common law resisted both by the country's Hindu majority and Muslims, the main minority, has remained, in the words of the Supreme Court, a, quote, dead letter. PM Modi's ruling uh, BJP party is now resurrecting the idea that BJP ruled states such as Uttar Pradesh, Himachal Pradesh, and Madhya Pradesh. I'm probably mispronouncing those. I apologize. One of our Indian friends can call in or write in and let me know how to say those properly. Be happy to work on it. Have been taking up the UCC to be sure. Again, this is the BBC writing. The UCC has been one of the original campaign promises of the BJP, along with the construction of the temple at the disputed site at Idoya. Probably saying that wrong, too. Apologize. And abolishing the special status of Kashmir. Of course, Kashmir is where they're fighting with Pakistan. Now that the temple is being built and Kashmir is being stripped of its autonomy, the spotlight has moved back to the UCC. The Hindu right-wing rhetoric has pushed a common personal law as a counter to what they say are the regressive personal laws of Muslims. They cite the example of the triple talaq. Now, that's if you can divorce uh, an instant divorce in some Muslim practices by just saying the word three times or even texting it in some cases, depending on the person, where Mr. Mahdi's government criminalized that in 2019. The BJP's manifesto said there cannot be gender equality till such a time India adopts a uniform civil code. That's a quote. But as political silence, Asim Ali notes, the reality is much more complex. In other words, framing a UCC 
will open a Pandora's box with unintended consequences, even for the country's Hindu majority, which the BJP professes to represent. Now consider how personal laws look at different matters. Take adoption, Hindu tradition. Adoption was undertaken for both secular or religious purposes to have male heirs input, but the male heirs descended to be able to perform funeral rites of parents. On the other hand, adoption is not recognized in Islamic law, but also India also has a secular juvenile justice law. Experts wonder what are the neutral principles to adopt when putting together a common law? What principles do you apply, Hindu, Muslim, or Christian, wonders Alak Prasanna Kumar, a fellow of the Vindi Center for Legal Policy, a Bangalore-based independent legal policy group. He says the UCC would have to answer some fundamental questions. What is the criteria for marriage and divorce? What are the processes of and consequences of adoption? What are the rights to maintenance or just division of wealth and the laws of divorce? Lastly, what are the rules of inherited property? Then there's the politics of it, which can easily lead to blowback. It is significantly disturbing the customary practices of the people, he says. Not surprisingly, even the Supreme Court has sounded confused about the UCC. Clearly, this is the BBC's conclusion, the UCC is not a magic bullet. Uniformity doesn't even bring any value to a law, let alone a big value. What makes a good law is that it is just, clear, and constitutional. To address gender inequalities and personal laws, nothing comes in the way of trying to amend those rather than demanding adherence to the common law, expert says. That would essentially mean adopting best practices from all personal laws. Does that all sound complicated? It is. Ruling people is hard, especially a diverse people. Our friends in India have a mess on their hands, but at least they're trying, and it's something we're going to keep an eye on in a country that's had some serious issues, especially with how women and minorities are treated. And we'll keep an eye on it as they try to push forward with this. And it should also make us understand that in America, with all our problems, at least we have a decently uniform civil code of rights. Although we failed at it some in the past, that looks pretty good in comparison. More Hertel right after this. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. One of our favorites, Jericho Hill. He works for one of them four-letter, not three-letter uh, government organizations as an economist, but we're going to talk a little more cultural stuff today. He's also a contributor at Ordinary-Times.com, has a new piece up that we're going to be talking about. Jericho, how was your holiday weekend, my friend? Uh, filled with uh, some burger cookouts and little kids splashing in pools, so pretty good holiday weekend. As God intended it. God bless America. Well done, sir appreciate you okay here's one of those things where i should know more about it than i do but i don't because um my own precluity so i'm just going to openly upfront admit i have a bias against this particular subset of our culture because and you understand this it's a messy area it's something that i don't fully understand it's just a blind spot so i'm going to ask you and you're going to explain it to me but we've been talking about uvalde and the response and particularly the law enforcement response there is a huge subset of our culture that uses reddit so before we get into the Reddit thing, just in case, let's make sure everybody's on the same page. Explain what Reddit is, because it's also a, a pejorative in the media space to say, oh, Redditors and Reddit. Um, I'm guilty. I'll admit it. Explain what it actually is to folks first. And then I'm going to get into, because I think what you've uncovered here on Reddit is actually really revealing to something that we kind of knew from the coverage. But this sure does uh, explain it more, doesn't it? Yeah, so so Reddit is an online community, much like an online message board, chat board, things like that, that's been in existence for quite some time. 
Uh, most people who view Reddit view it from what's called the all page, where you can see sort of all of the various communities. And, you know, what pops up is according to some algorithm, some upvote, downvote thing that's going on. But Reddit mostly is a collection of very small individual message boards. And some, you know, I, I moderate several of these. One is my subreddit on bad economics, where we find examples of bad economics in the wild, be it from the president to the Speaker of the House to crazy cut candidates for governor in Georgia, uh, and explain sort of why their policy statement is bad econ and say, this is this is actually what, what we know about econ in respect to this. You know, you've got your, your communities for, say, sports teams, you know, for the Atlanta Falcons or for the West Virginia Mountaineers. Uh, you've got communities on personal finance. You've got communities that share cat pictures. You've got communities dedicated to various uh, professions. Uh, we'll get into one of those. And then you've got sort of more of the cesspool of, of Reddit, where you've got the conspiracy-minded folks with their group, the Ask the Donald and, and the Donald subreddit that was notorious back in 2016 and 2020, uh, and other sort of groups that you know might appeal more to folks that are like gamer gators or uh, communities of involuntarily celibates. And um, we could get more down into the rabbit hole. And the further we go down, the muckier and muckier it is, the most, and the more and more hope that I have that my daughter never has to see any of that stuff. So Reddit can be a very good place. It's got great subreddits. Like uh, I'm, I'm a proud contributor in Dad for a Minute, um, where we just basically provide, you know, dad advice for, for a minute and try to be positive. Uh, and then it can get really, really bad. So we we do have professional groups on here. You were monitoring this, and so let me let me before you get in pressure. Let me just yeah, say so some so some subreddits will will flare users, and that just means to everybody you get like a little nameplate. And typically, a subreddit would do this, like in our econ subreddits. I'm used to. We'll flare someone if they provide evidence, you know, proof, right? That um, you know they they have a PhD or you know they're they're working at the Federal Reserve. They have some sort of expertise, right? So folks will know this is not just some random online schmuck. Right. This is actually someone that the moderator team and we like my team that I work with, we have a set of rules of what we accept as documents and how we cross check and fact check whether this is a real person or not. Um, and other communities will have sort of similar you know, arrangements. Um, and so the community we're going to talk about, you know, probably has some sort of verification so that there are some users that are posting on the community that, that don't have any flair. And there are some users that will have a flair. They'll indicate what they are. And so there's a sort of a tacit understanding that like, if you have a flare on some of these subreddits, um, you've shown the moderating team proof that you are who you say you are. Now, when we get to this law enforcement thing that you found, um, again, we need to know the, the structure of how Reddit works. Cause this is based, you know, this is kind of a 5.0 of the old discussion board stuff. Yeah. The moderators that control something like a law enforcement, Reddit, because that's what we're going to get into, because the moderators were pushing one narrative and censoring. I hate to use that word because everybody's going to lose their freaking mind, but I don't have a better word. So you can explain let's just that. call it cancel culture, baby. Well, uh, no, let's not, because we only got a we only got an hour show. Um, the moderators were trying to steer the discussion one way and the rank and file, for lack of a better term, was not talk about that dynamic because. I find this interesting because we talk about free speech. We don't talk about the messy edge of free speech. This is the messy edge of it. The moderators are fighting with the rank and file. And now we have a week's worth of news that back up that the rank and file were right. And the moderators were wrong. Yeah. So, so in many respects, like the moderating 
group. These are these are four free folks that you know help make the the website run. These various small subreddits, um, and these folks may or may not necessarily be law enforcement officers themselves. And the subreddit that I'm talking about specifically today is the Protect and Serve subreddit on, on Reddit, and it's one of the it's the biggest law enforcement you know site that you know that we have. Um, and there are a ton of police officers that are flared there, and you can see that this person's a retired cop, and this person's a sergeant, etc. So I just I just want to make it clear that like you know on some subreddits all the moderating staff are are known to actually be experts in the field like on our econ subreddits you know everyone knows that we have a master's or PhD or some other thing qualification more on there so I don't necessarily know what the qualifications are for protecting serve on the moderating staff I don't know their individual moderating rules what I do know is that as the Uvalde sort of shooting developed um, the moderating staff um, would lock down threads discussing it. Um, and, and then putting in their own sort of um, comments of how this is involving situation. We don't know the facts, you know, stop with the, you know, hive mind, Reddit, conspiracy theories, stop insulting the cops. The cops definitely went in there the first thing that they had. There was no 40 minute break. There was no hour long wait, none of that stuff. Oh, by the way, the, 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 uh, a teacher left the door open, so we shouldn't even blame the cops in the first place. And that was the moderating team and several moderators were going into various discussion threads and essentially uh, deleting posts uh, from un unflared users and, and steering the conversation towards not blaming the Uvalde police for their utterly incompetent response. Yeah, I'm pretty biased on this. Uh, the law enforcement officers who were flared, however, um, whose comments rose to the top because they were being uh, upvoted to the top by the user base and folks coming in from outside the community um, were almost unanimously, you know, against what the moderating team was doing. And the cops are saying, what has happened in Uvalde as best as they could tell, these verified users ran against any sort of school shooting policy that they were aware of and, you know, commenting that, look, we're trained to run in and if it's one of us, it's one of us and it's on us. That's the responsibility of the badge. You know, um, and so it provided an interesting juxtaposition where it seemed like the leadership was attempting to whitewash what happened while the rank and file were saying, this is what destroys trust in cops. This is bad. And I'm just glancing through some of these Reddits because I don't want to quote them because I can't cite them. And, and, you know, how it is trying to do anonymity on Reddit. A lot of people pointing towards Parkland. We know the resource officer that hid in the stairwell during the Parkland shooting. We have a lot of these law enforcement uh, folks, or at least people that say they're police officers, again and again and again. Like a lot of these comments start to really overlap really, really fast. All of them is like, you know, you stop the shooter first and then you yep. deal with everything else. You, you, stop the sh you stop the killing and then you deal with who's dead. I'm just looking at these like over and over and over again. The policy is you go towards a shooter as long as they're shooting. You don't wait on a barricade um, over and over again. And this How is long clear, this so in, the, well, well, in the in the response, like some of the law enforcement officers and the first responders that in other communities are coming and saying, look, it is highly likely that some of those kids did not die from the initial gunshot that they received from from the assailant. They they bled out, essentially. Um, and that's one of the reasons why these these is my understanding from, from talking to other law enforcement officers that I know that I'm friends with. That's why part of the reason why they have this policy of you go in and you go in fast. Um, is because every minute sort of matters and you some of these gunshot wounds are survivable if you get help in fast enough i mean just the basic tenet of this thing is you stop the killing first and then yep. you deal with it. it's like you know it's like if you're 
you know, in medical response, you know, <laughs> airway, breathing, bleeding, you got to do the basic stuff first. How much is the time now that we know kind of the timeline here where he was in there for over an hour, uh, the Bortac team that had finally ended this thing, it took them an hour to get there. It took them another 20, 30 minutes to get the police out of the way to go in on their own. Is the time thing what really tipped this for a lot of people of like, okay, this wasn't five minutes to put a plan together. This wasn't 10 minutes waiting for the next carload of folks. The, the, this went way, way too long by any measurable standard. I mean, that, that's my gut reaction. You know, I'm not going to, you know, like, you know, as a father of a little kid, that it's going to have a kid going to elementary school pretty soon, you know, and I know you, you're a father and you, you had a similar sort of visceral reaction. You know, it, if this was like, this was a team of cops where the cops are like, we know we've got four cars of dudes coming in five minutes and then we're, we're surging the sky, you know? Okay. I, I can understand waiting five minutes to go in with overwhelming power. You know um, I can understand, you know, taking a few minutes to try to figure out a strategy, you know, get things set up. I don't understand an hour. It seems, you know, uh, incompetent. It seems, it seems cowardly. Uh, and then you have the, the the feds, right? And the feds are often, you know, maligned, you know, by the very same people that sometimes back the blue. Um, and these border patrol officers just, it seems like they got tired of the police waiting, like from all accounts, and just went in there and did it themselves. Um, and one of those border patrol officers uh, apparently got grazed in the head by a bullet, but um, he's the one that put the put the killer down. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that the border patrol took matters into their own hands and did what everyone should have been doing for a, a long time. And I think it is, I think it's the timing. I think, you know, I think it comes with, look, you are, you cover this in your, in your talk on Hertel. You're a cop. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, community sort of like um, leadership from that. You get a lot of plaudits, you get a lot of kudos, you get a lot of respect, you're supposed to, right? But then, you know, by getting that, you're also supposed to do other things that ordinary other folks would not do. So as a father, yeah, I, if I was in this situation, I, I don't even know if the cops, the cops probably would have had to tase me to get me from, prevent me from going into that building. Yeah, I, I did have to shoot me. Um, the, the thing that also gets me here is we feared this kind of news was coming because the story kept changing immediately. The first three press conferences they had, they gave a different story every time. And that was a big red flag to me, like, uh-oh. And I believe even Governor Abbott's now let, trying claiming that he was misled about the police response. Well, and I, I believe him because, again, yeah. not that I'm, a, you know, not to take up for Governor Abbott in any way, shape or form, but he's just going off what he's told. He's not there. The guys yeah. on the ground that were there changed the story multiple times, which tells me, A, either they're covering something up or B, they had no clue what was going on and or some combination of both, which is what I think is probably the truth here, because clearly they didn't have a plan. Clearly, the plan, you know, the oh no, they had a plan. Remember that these the, the but that facts doesn't make came sense out either. That, the facts he, came out that they did an emergency response at this very school with almost a very similar sort of drill as to what happened. But they two didn't follow prior. that. They didn't follow that. And the 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 chief of police's excuse of well, I thought the kids were all dead. I was like, well, that makes even less sense because if the kids are all dead, then what are you really waiting on? Well, if the kids are all dead, then who's calling nine one one? Like, so we know that's a lot. Sorry to laugh about that, but like, no, you got to laugh because it's so bad. Like, what are you doing? It, and this is this guy's hometown. I don't know how he lives with this just as a human being. Anyway, Jericho I mean, I think Hill. This also, this, this is destroying trust in cops. I mean, this is so, so much damage to, you know, uh, a relationship with law enforcement, you know, and, and I think it makes matters worse because uh, the kids were, were not white that were harmed here. And if we're just, we're dealing with all sorts of distrust between, 
you know, a minority population and cops, this doesn't help. Well, most of these cops are Hispanic, but well, okay, and, that's I said, a valid point, yeah. and I that's said on Twitter, um, when this happened, I said, you watch, we're going to find out stuff about this police department. It's and out now. Right. NBC, right. NBC news is reporting. Now the guy, the current chief of police, I'm not going to use his name because he doesn't deserve to have his name said, uh, that the guy he replaced was actually fired and ran off uh, for personal accountability as you yep. pulled a gun on another officer mm-hmm. in a bar and all kinds of mess. So yeah, th- this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in a sequence and there's clearly something very broken. Why do you have four, four cops in a school district of 4,000 kids in the first place? But that's another story for another day. Uh, Jericho Hill, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to continue to talk about Uvalde a little bit. There's also a housing report. Um, he is an economist. He's actually Dr. Jericho Hill. Thank you very much. Um, there's a very interesting housing report. Housing is kind of his bailiwick. It's his little pet peeve inside of the economic community. I want to ask him about that, too. More with Jericho Hill on her tell right after. Uh, we're back with our friend Jericho Hill. He is an economist. Uh, he's also a writer. Uh, but we're talking about the Uvalde thing just as human beings and parents and things like that, because the, yep. the human being part of this doesn't make a lick of sense. All right. Let me ask you a big picture thing. Again, we're not law enforcement officers. We're no. just writers. But we, we do kind of pay attention to this stuff. Where do we go from here? Because usually what happens with these these shootings, you know, we've already I have to make a conscious effort to go check on the news from Buffalo now. Um, we have to make a conscious, you know, do you, does, when's the last time you heard about the San Antonio mass shooting at the Walmart, which was only, you know, 80 miles from where this happened. That wasn't that long ago. These things escape our collective consciousness really, really quickly. So let's, let's assume just as adults, we got a small window here. What do you think the first one or two items we really need to address coming out of this? I know my number one one here, and I know people are going to want to talk guns and everything else, but my number one thing here is the police accountability because the... If, if you had a proper police force, this probably isn't as bad as it, it got. If you have proper law enforcement, maybe this guy gets caught because it was very clear now that there was all kinds of red flags about this individual. I Mind police accountability. What's yours? Um, my thing is they clearly had training that was supposed to address exactly what to do. That training has clearly failed. So now I wonder how much this training, like, is this endemic to other police departments? What's wrong with the training? Is it the people or the training? You know, um, so so I would the first thing I would think about is what, you know, is, you know, we're, what could we do something about the training? Um, you know, what, what happened there? The second is, yes, accountability. Like we, we we have to be able to hold the police responsible for the utter botch that they had um, in, in, uh, in this. Uh, and if we're unwilling to, to hold the police accountable when they were simply unwilling, you know, as far as I can tell, to, to go in. Uh, when they were supposed to, to save little kids, right? It's not even adults. It's not, these are little kids, innocent little kids. Um, you know, that, that's just a problem. You know, if you can, you can watch some interviews with the parents that have been on various news and I, I had my heart broken numerous times, but I watched them because I, I needed to, I think it was important to watch and understand the pain that these parents are going through more than just a sound bite and, and not forget that. Um, and then, yeah, we can talk about what Congress is, what we want our, our legislators and whatnot and politicians to do. But look, Andrew, let's just be frank and realistic. Congress ain't going to do anything. They, they haven't done anything. They're just going to keep we're, we're going to use guns and we're going to use school shootings. And this is me being cynical. And I'm sorry. 
but we're going to use this as political footballs to fundraise on. And much like, you know, a lot of other hot political topics, um, the needle's not going to move. Politicians are not going to change their mind. There's not going to be a bipartisan consensus. We're not even going to be, we will not see anything at the federal level to even put into place a standard for a gun violence restraining order or clean up the reporting system for some of these obvious red flags that should have been caught, right? That as we're learning about the, the particular individual, you know, we, 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 we know that this particular individual tried to buy guns in the past and was actually stopped by, by laws on the books. But, you know, we know they've had, uh, you know, some, some mental issues. We know that they had some criminal issues. The warning signs were there, but the reporting system screwed up. But look, Texas legislators ain't gonna do anything and congressional legislators aren't gonna do anything. We know that. If if Sandy Hook didn't, didn't didn't cause something to happen, nothing will. Real quick before I gotta let you go, let me deal with that training thing you brought up. I'll give you the answer to that training thing because whether it was the military or in a corporate setting or even when I was a volunteer firefighter, whatever situation I've been in, training's like everything else. It it depends on your leadership and how seriously they take training. Cause you can have training that's hardcore and you get a lot out of it. And you can have training where everybody shows up, goes through the motions for 20 minutes and we eat donuts for 45 minutes and talk to each other. And then up, oh, we had training this week. I'm looking at the leadership. I'm looking at how these people conducted themselves on the crisis. I can tell you how their training sessions went right now, but I've I've got the evidence. Now their training was crap because their performance was crap. You practice like you play. And when you play bad, I know your practice went bad and I know your leadership is bad. That's the answer to your leadership yep. question. And I've got the evidence because I watched you stand around with your thumb up your butt while a bunch of kids died. Sorry. That's the truth. That's the evidence. That's the scoreboard. So how, my, how many police departments have inadequate training now? It would be nice to know, but we can't find out because we don't have any accountability with our police departments right now. Here's my thing with the police. And they already did it because they did it when I talked about it on my show last week. Don't well, you don't support police. No, if you support something, if you care about something, I don't care if it's a police department, I don't care if it's your country, I don't care if it's your music genre, I don't care if it's your child. If you care about something, you hold it accountable because otherwise you don't care about it. You're just using it. And we've got a lot of people that are using the police for whatever reason. But if you care about it, you hold them accountable. And accountability is what did you do before the crisis? Every single one of these shootings over and over and over again, shooter was known to law enforcement, police reacted such and such. You know, there, there's something broken in law enforcement here. And again, I know every, we spent two days yelling at each other about guns online, and then we find out the cops stood around for an hour. Yeah. So we wasted we wasted everybody's bandwidth on that. And then we get to the truth of the matter of what really happened. And it's almost like everybody's already worn out from the old debate that well, we everyone's had. Already, they're all everybody's moved on. Yeah. Yeah. And then. And then, like, if you want to talk about the gun debate, like in Buffalo, where, you know, the, the, the security guy who was former police did everything right, mm-hmm. did absolutely everything right, and it wasn't enough. Well, there's a discussion to have. Yeah. But we can't have that discussion because now we're, we went on to the next thing, and we just automatically jumped on our priors and started talking about that before we even knew what was going on in, in Texas. I know people want to focus on the gun part of it. I get it. I understand it. There's a debate to be had there. It's I don't easy know to that understand, yeah. I don't know that you'll ever bridge it, but if you're going to bridge it and somewhere that the two A folks have a legitimate gripe here is how do you ever trust law enforcement with this? If you could bridge some of this law enforcement accountability stuff, 
you may not get more than an inch or two, but you're not going to get anything without the law because they've got a legitimate beef of why in the world should we ever trust law enforcement? Mm-hmm. That's a fair point for 2A advocates to say, especially rural ones where your law enforcement response 40, 45 minutes an hour, whatever the case may be. This law enforcement stuff, you better deal with it before you even try to start bridging any gaps there. That's just my humble but accurate opinion. I like I say, humble but accurate. Yeah, I, I, look, we have a trust issue um, with law enforcement uh, in this country, and that trust issue is both right wing and left wing. Um, and this this did nothing, did no favors to it. I, I don't. You know, I don't have, I wish there were, there, there are easy solutions, easy answers, but, you know, as I, as, I, as I alluded to, even some policies that we know may not have prevented this catastrophe, but, but might have been helpful. Various little things, you know, again, gun violence restraining orders, you know, things like that. Um, we're not likely to see any sort of, of mass action on those, you know, it, it seems, despite, you know, high favorability and polling numbers. That's just not something our politicians have a track record of doing. And I, I tend to, you know, watch actions and base what I believe is going to happen based on what we've observed from actions in the past. We got about three minutes left. I want to ask you an economics question real quick. Uh, the narrative for the COVID thing was, OK, we shut down and went to remote work and we have a housing situation. The narrative was that the office stuff would bounce back once the COVID thing was over, and that would affect housing prices a certain way. Now we got some numbers and data. Some folks kind of surprised how that's working out, aren't they? Uh, Some are. So, you know, there was a recent paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, It is a collective of economists. Generally speaking, uh, if there's a working paper of that group, it's probably high quality and probably something worth paying attention to uh, and reading and understanding. And essentially what it said was a lot of the uh, house price growth that we've seen, uh, especially in the last year, year and a half, uh, is due to the shift in remote work. So look, I just put put, pulled up some, some figures. You've got about 7 million homes that were that were purchased either with a mortgage or with cash last year. Um, you have about 20, uh, 25% of the workforce now essentially fully remote uh, or working from home. And to agree that they, that they weren't working fully remote or working from home beforehand. Uh, you can do the math and you can figure out that there's a lot of households that are potentially thinking, would have potentially thinking about moving and might be a substantial portion of that 7 million home purchase that happened last year or the year before. Um, it doesn't take a lot to move a housing market. And you're, you're, you're talking with, to folks, you know, the, these are folks who now have demand for, for housing that's a little bit bigger because everybody wants to have a home office. I work out of my living room. <laughs> um, it'd be nice to have a home office. Uh, so you have folks wanting to move around, you know, get an extra space. That's going to drive up housing demand. It's going to drive up housing prices, um, you know, because of the demand, because there's not a lot of housing out there. Uh, we haven't built enough in the last decade um, to satisfy demand. And, and so, yeah, that, that, that is going to somewhat exacerbate, um, you know, housing costs. Also, a lot of the families that are eligible for remote work, these are white collar workers, double income, white collar workers, lots of disposable income, lots of savings uh, from not having to do lots of things during COVID. So just flush with cash. I mean, these are not the people that got the bailouts or anything or, or cash transfers, whatever we want to call them. Um, you know, extra assistance, which we might have been needed, especially for the, the lower income folks. I think that was absolutely good policy. But, you know, um, we had a population that was flush with cash that's not eligible for remote work and was moving. Um, yeah, that, that's going to drive housing costs. And, now, 
Now, what you're talking about in terms of office, yeah, we expected for over time, right, offices would reopen and that would bring people back or office buildings would transition to um, apartments and condos. But cities are what we call putty clay. When a city or a city area starts being developed, it's very putty, it's very fluid, you can mold it into whatever you want. And then over time it hardens and becomes clay and it's very hard to sort of do anything except destroy the whole thing and restart. And that's very costly and very time consuming. Real quick, um, the other part of this, and we said it during the COVID thing because I've been a business manager, I knew this was coming and people are just now starting to believe me on this. I was like, you watch these companies are gonna take a look at their overhead numbers after having the offices shut down for two years and go, ooh, I like that nice fat number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I mean, look, my agency, like we are now pretty much 90% of our employees are fully remote um, or at least home-based, I should say. Um, and the cost savings uh, is such that we actually are going to have a stipend for us to buy all of our, I guess, overhead items so that the agency no longer has to do that since we're at home. So things like my office chair and stuff that the agency used to have to provide, they're not going to provide anymore. We just get a, a cash transfer to basically handle it. Yeah. Good taking money from the government. Yeah. Jericho Hill, our good friend. I'm teasing. Yeah. Uh, real hey, quick. Hey, to be fair, I, my agency is not funded by any taxpayer dollars. So there you go. I, I stand corrected. I do apologize to everyone. We are good stewards of our money too. So. There you go. I, I never doubted it. Uh, real quick, let folks know where they can find you on your social media and you're writing your new piece on the Reddit thread that has the receipts and also the discussion boards posted is up at ordinary-times.com. Let me know about social media, my friend. You can always find me on Twitter. It's Motoconomist, and that's pretty much spot on. And occasionally I get off my butt and I write for Ordinary Times and hopefully more to come in the future. Um, yep. And I appreciate you doing this second time. We tried to do this last week and I was up in West Virginia and the broadband's horrible, so it didn't work out. So we Your 14.4 for- modem was, was amazing. Hey, my parents just got, they just got off dial up like five years ago. It was crazy. But we ended up talking about wrestling for 40 minutes, didn't record a thing. Jericho Hill, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you, sir. Hopefully I have something better to discuss next time. Anytime. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to Herd Tell. Uh, in the Department of Redundancy Department, uh, Donald Trump is upset that his uh, picked selection for the Georgia governor's race, David Perdue, did not go well. And of course, he's upset about it. Let's go to businessinsider.com. This was written uh, by Tom Porter. Former President Donald Trump was furious at his endorsed candidate, David Perdue's loss to the Republican gubernatorial primary in Georgia and lashed out at him as, quote, lazy. Okay, Trump's endorsement strategy has suffered setbacks in a series of primaries, most acutely in Georgia. Last week, when two of his endorsed candidates slumped to defeat in their primaries, Purdue was thrashed by incumbent Governor Brian Kemp, getting 21% of the vote compared to Kemp's 73. That's a woodshedding, folks, in the Secretary of State race. This is the really interesting one, as we've talked about before. Incumbent Brad Raffensperger defeated Trump back challenger Jody Heiss. They both won so handily there was no runoff. Advisors to Trump told the Post that the former president now sees the candidates he endorsed in the race as embarrassments and added he considered Purdue lazy. Trump staked a large amount of political capital in the races in Georgia, where he wanted revenge on Kemp and Raffensperger for their refusals to endorse his bogus claims that he lost the state to Joe Biden. Former president campaigned personally for Purdue, who based his campaign around promoting Trump's reelection fraud lie. Trump gave $2.64 million to Purdue's campaign from his own political war chest, which is kind of rare if you go look. Purdue's former U.S. senator, he was also lost in the runoff early in 2021, where some Republican critics blamed Trump fixation with pushing election fraud 
for driving down GOP turnout. Trump himself faced accusations of laziness while in office. White House documents suggest he blocked out large sections of the day to watch coverage of himself on TV. Remember, executive time. Uh, a couple things here. We covered this extensively with multiple guests on the program. Uh, this was supposed to be the MAGA Revenge Tour. This was going to be their Alamo. They were going to get Kemp. They were going to get especially Raffensperger, who, if you go back and remember, was source A for stopping and standing up and saying, no, we're not going to change election results just because Donald Trump is mad. Raffensperger is supposed to be DOA. He not only won, he won with over 50%, which got him out of having to do a runoff. Uh, Brian Kemp cruised to an election. David Perdue ran a horrible campaign. People did not want to have anything to do with him. He is lazy, I guess, is one thing. He packed it in the last week, didn't even really campaign. But this is what happened. Now, some folks are going to try to extrapolate this out, and they're pointing to Wyoming and Liz Cheney and Trump moving on to that race. These are two very different things, though. Georgia was very sort of specific because the Georgia GOP was embarrassed by the runoffs. They were embarrassed by what Donald Trump did. Folks do not want to relitigate 2020, even the diehard Trump supporters. In fact, a lot of the people that voted for Kemp and Ravisberger still said they support Donald Trump. They just didn't want to go over this stolen election stuff again. Thus, this result. Now, some people are trying to point this out to Liz Cheney. That's a different thing. Uh, that's a Republican seat changing to another Republican that doesn't have the other overtones. People putting that analysis together are missing the plot. These are two very separate things. An intra-party feud where they're just going to switch a Republican seat around is different than the Georgia runoffs where the GOP electorate got embarrassed, lost two Senate seats, and blamed Donald Trump for that, even the ones that still support him. Things that are different are not the same. However, there is a lesson. We now have an answer to one of those shoot people on Fifth Avenue questions. Remember that, how far folks will go? We got the answer now. They're not going to relitigate 2020. That's how far. It should have been a line a lot closer, but there it is. More Herd Tale right after this. Ah, Herd Tale, Joe. We always try to end on a little bit of a high note, and this is a high note in a city that really could use a little bit of good news. Go to Buffalo uh, from the Buffalo News. Canadian distant runner Lucas McEnany won the return of the Buffalo Marathon on Sunday and had a passenger along for the ride. McEnany pushed a stroller with two-year-old Sutton for the entirety of the 26.2-mile course in an attempt to break the Guinness World Book of World Record mark for completing a marathon while pushing a stroller. McEnany, now based in Waterdown, Ontario, finished in 2 minutes, 33 seconds, and 29, but narrowly missed the world record of 2 hours, 31 minutes, and 21 seconds, set in 2016 by Caleb Neff in the Toronto Waterfront Marathon when he pushed four-year-old daughter Alessandra. McEnany had stepped away from running when Sutton was born, but then his wife gave him a stroller as a gift. The stroller runs helped Sutton take naps, which is clear Sunday as he appeared to be sleeping during most of the race. McEnany ran one hour, 13 and 30 seconds in a non-event time trial for a half marathon, which set his sights on the possibility of breaking the record. Auburn's David Cook, a frequent Buffalo Marathon participant, was second in two hours, 33 minutes, 48 seconds. David Leaf of Syracuse was third, followed by Mar Martyrus Dom was fourth, Nick Kunt of Adam, Michigan in fifth, and Buffalo's Jesse Olazado, who was not pushing a stroller, finished eighth. Among the women, Gabrielle Russo won those uh as long as uh she is attempting the u.s olympic marathon trials it was the first four 
Buffalo Marathon since 2019 after the pandemic canceled the 2020 race. And the 2021 race was largely virtual with a small contingent of just the pro in-person runners like a lot of marathons did. Organizers said 5,800 runners from 43 states and 13 countries registered, only one of them with a stroller. The Buffalo Marathon typically has about 7,500 runners. So congratulations to them. Glad Sutton got a good nap. If you watch, uh, look at the pictures online, he's actually sleeping coming across the finish line, which is pretty amazing. Good for him. Cool little story. Fun stuff. That'll do it for her to tell. I uh, hope you all had a great holiday weekend. We're back at it, back working now, turning down the noise of the news cycle for you. We did miss you. Happy to be back. So until we talk to you again, make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're sharing. Make sure you're leaving comments and ratings. Those are all really important. We sure appreciate it. Heard tell every weekday. Uh, the Good Talks uh, interview portions out every afternoon. And, of course, twice on Sunday. Last week's was a doozy. We did almost all of the Friday show again on Twice on Sunday by popular demand of you because it's a partnership. Whatever you want, you get because if you don't listen, we ain't got nobody to talk to. So until we talk to you again, wherever you are across the street around the world, we hope you and yours are well. We hope you are well fed. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for more Heard Tell. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.